0: everybody here is an episode from our 10 episode playlist that we're calling offbeat history yeah we're adding
1: this to our our regular publishing schedule as one kind of big drop all at the same time on uh, march 19th and that is so that you m- maybe have a little bit of extra entertainment options available to you particularly if you are self-quarantined or sheltering in place <laughs> Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Tracy, we are officially into my favorite time of year. I know you're so excited. It's spooky episode season. (laughs) Uh, And as regular listeners know, this is a time when we explore some of the weirder bits of history. Uh, We get a little looser. Some of our research comes from kind of crazier sources. Um, And this episode may sound spooky based on the title, and it is a history mystery, But the reality is definitely more of a fun and pretty silly mystery than anything that's scary. So if you are one of those people, I know we sometimes have listeners write in and say they are a little too afraid sometimes or spooked by our October episodes. uh, This one is not going to get too frightening. You don't have to worry about it at all on this one. Uh, And I will say this, too. The term The Devil's Footprints gets applied to a lot of different things. But this, to me, seems like the most common one, which is an incident that happened in England in 1855. So if you are thinking it is another one, it is not.
0: Yeah. There are also like a lot of local ghost stories that have some combination of devilish figure and walking around for <laughs> like places where plants don't grow. Yeah. Uh like the Devil's Tramping Ground is one f- I recall from my childhood. Uh, and, and that is actually what I thought this was going to be about before I started reading your outline. And then that is not what it's about. It is about something sillier. It's so I do silly. think it's sillier. It's very silly.
1: It's very silly.
0: In the May 26th, 1855 edition of Bell's Life in Sydney and Sporting Reviewer, the following headline ran, Panic Caused by the Appearance of the Devil In Devonshire.
1: (laughs) So that sounds very frightening. (laughs) And indeed, on February 8th, 1855, and theoretically for a day or two after, depending on which account you're looking at, a very curious thing happened in Devon, which is a coastal county in the southwest of England. 1855 had an unusually cold winter for England, and there had been nothing above freezing temperatures since January.
0: The rivers were totally frozen over, and there were snowfall after snowfall with no thaw in between. The rivers themselves were so solidly iced over that a feast had been held on one of them. I mean, it's not uncommon for places with really cold rivers to have events on frozen lakes, but rivers are a little dicier, so it had been particularly cold. The night the mystery started, it had snowed really heavily and then warmed up to a point that there had been some rain, and then the temperature dropped steeply once again, and all of that precipitation froze over.
1: And the people of Devon discovered in the morning that unaccountable hoof prints were everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, something it seemed had been tromping all around the area, even in the most peculiar of places. And not long after the event, and well before the Sydney paper ran its sensational headline, the following letter appeared in an English paper describing the event. This is a very long letter, so Tracy and I will alternate reading paragraphs of it.
0: Okay. I'm excited that I get to read this part. <laughs> Because it begins, to the editor of the Exeter and Plymouth Gazette, Sir! Thursday night, the 8th of February, was marked by a heavy fall of snow, followed by rain and boisterous wind from the east, and in the morning, frost. The return of daylight revealed the ramblings of some most busy and mysterious animal endowed with the power of ubiquity, as its footprints were to be seen in all kinds of unaccountable places on the tops of houses, narrow walls, and gardens and courtyards enclosed by high walls and palings, as well as in the open fields. The creature seems to have frolicked about through Exmouth, Littleham, Limpstone, Woodbury. Topsham, Starcross, Tainmouth, etc., etc.
1: The letter goes on. There is hardly a garden in Limstone where his footprints are not observable. And in this parish, he appears to have gambled with inexpressible activity. Its track appears more like that of a biped than a quadruped. And the steps are generally eight inches in advance of each other, though in some cases, 12 or 14 and are alternate like the steps of a man and would be included between two parallel lines six inches apart.
0: The letter goes on, "'The impression of the foot closely resembles that of a donkey's shoe and measures from an inch and a half to, in some cases, two inches and a half across, here and there appearing as if the foot was cleft. But in the in the generality of its steps, the impression of the shoe was continuous and perfect.'" In the center, the snow remains entire, merely showing the outer crust of the foot, which therefore must have been convex. The creature seems to have advanced to the doors of several houses and then to have retraced its steps, but no one is able to discern the starting or resting point of this mysterious visitor." Everyone is wondering, but no one is able to explain the mystery. The poor are full of superstition and consider it little short of a visit from old Satan or some of his imps.
1: And the letter actually goes on for some time after this, uh, and it describes, in particular, a recent sermon that was given in Limstone by a Reverend Musgrave, in which the minister spoke at length about Satan as a tempter who wished nothing more than to take men from a virtuous path. But he did not think that this was what was going on in their their town, Uh, Reverend Musgrave, apparently based on this sermon, believed, according to the letter writer, that the hoof prints were actually those of a very busy kangaroo.
0: Which is (laughs) hilarious. Kangaroos don't have hooves, just want to say that. I mean...
1: Yeah, and we're going to revisit this kangaroo thing in a a little bit as
0: well. (laughs) Along with another of other animals who don't have hooves or wear shoes, Uh, The writer measured horse prints that were left the same night and notes that they did not match these mystery prints. Additionally, he mentions that a kangaroo's foot has claws of an uneven length, so really, how could the print look so like that of a donkey? He or she, because we don't know who wrote the letter, then wonders if the prints couldn't have been the result of a cat, wherein the back and front footsteps overlapped, uh, the letter writer wrote, quote, I think it very likely that the combined impression of a hind and forefoot in the thawing snow may have produced the mystery.
1: And this letter to the editor concludes there and is then signed, Yours obediently, Spectator.
0: So, accounts of this event are a little sparse. But as the few contemporary descriptions were pieced together, it started to appear that these hoof marks had been recorded along a stretch of dozens and dozens of miles. The prints were reported in depths ranging from one and a half to four inches. And as mentioned in the letter above, they uh, defied logic in their placement in a lot of cases. Not only did they wander vast different distances with no apparent return trip, but they also appeared on rooftops and they dropped off and resumed on either side of obstacles that seemed impossible for a mortal being to just get over One account even indicated that whatever it was had passed through a haystack.
1: And in addition to these prints in Devon, which seemed to indicate that the mystery creature had made its way to almost every house that it encountered, these steps went right up to doors and sometimes all of the doors in an area. uh, There were a smaller number of these prints reported in Dorset to the east as well. All in all, 30 different locations reported visitation from whatever it was making these tracks over the course of a couple of nights.
0: One of the oddest aspects of this whole mystery was the uniformity of the prints. They looked as though they had been left by a biped, and for the most part, each print was in line with the next in single file rather than side by side. Some, but not all, of the prints looked cloven, as described by the spectator in the letter. And the steps, even the longest stride that was reported, really appeared to have been quite short.
1: Yeah, and you'll note in that spectator letter, uh, the writer suggests that they are side-by-side like a, a human's walking would be with about six inches apart. But most of the accounts actually have them in a straight line, not as though someone or something were taking alternate steps. One calculation actually determined that all, if all of these hoofprints were the work of one creature, for it to have traveled as far as it was reported and used the stride distance the prints indicated, but to have happened, you know, on a given night or over the course of a couple of nights, it would have had to have made six steps per second.
0: So uh, you may be thinking, were these tracks going somewhere? (laughs) We will talk about that after we pause for a word from one of our sponsors. so it wasn't long
1: after that first point of discovery on the morning after the the night of february 8th that the locals decided to do exactly what most people would do i probably would do it they tried to follow the tracks to find their source uh presumably these particular people did not think that they were going to find the actual devil at the end of the line either that or they were just very
0: brave souls Some of the people who followed the prince did arm themselves so that they were ready for it to potentially be the devil or something else dangerous. A group of men from Dawlish followed the tracks for about five miles, and they turned up nothing.
1: And a pair of people in Clis St. George followed a set of markings as well, and their effort turned up more than the Dawlish group. They found four pieces of feces, each slightly larger than a grape and sort of whitish in color.
0: Tracings made by people in various locations and then compared later on showed that the prints were very much the same regardless of where they were made. But unfortunately, no one tracked any of the print trails far enough to see if they all linked up somewhere.
1: And we'll actually um, come back to this in just a moment. So the vicar of the parish in Clis St. George, Reverend H.T. Ellicombe, collected assorted letters and tracings of hoof marks and he actually kept all of that in the parish records for literally years and years and years. They went mostly unnoticed until about 1952, and then they were uh, published in the Report and Transactions of the Devonshire Association that year after the local historian got a folklorist interested in them. So they got talked about again, but they had just been sitting there since the mid-1800s
0: the reverend also compiled accounts from his parishioners as well as his own observations and also sent a sample of this whitish excrement to naturalist Richard Owen, the scholar who had become famous for his work in anatomy and paleontology and was superintendent of the British Museum's Natural Natural History Department starting in 1856, which was the year after the mysterious hoofprints had appeared. He never got back to him. (laughs) No, but he does weigh in on the subject
1: later on. Uh, One of the accounts that Ellicombe had collected indicated that at least one set of prints was obviously isolated and not connected to any others. And this was a series of tracks in the middle of a field. Uh, So this suggests that it could not have been a single entity that caused this. And additionally, there were fairly organic variations in sizes of prints that were found in different locations. So it makes it really unlikely that just one animal or even human hoaxers uh, provide the explanation.
0: To further complicate the whole mystery for modern sleuths or theorists, Mm. 40 years after the fact, some of the people who had been in Devon at the time of the odd footprints recalled that icy February, but their recollections get a lot more varied. Uh, Some of this is surely because of how much time had passed and the legend sort of degrading their actual memories that were being recounted.
1: Yeah, we've talked about on the show so many times that, one, eyewitness accounts are not reliable anyway, and as time goes on, they get less and less and less reliable. And in this case, a legend had grown completely up around this incident, so undoubtedly their recollections were colored by things they had repeated or heard or discussed along the way. And so this has built up a series of eyewitness accounts that are flatly wrong and have completely muddied the waters as to what exactly happened. For example, several of the counts the accounts relayed decades later kind of upped the spooky factor of the prints, including details such as all the prints being in oddly straight lines, which they absolutely were not.
0: So, in the face of such an odd mystery, naturally, all kinds of theories have come up, and we are going to walk through a few of the most common. So... (laughs)
1: This is where it gets really fun to me. because It's absurd. There's a lot of crazy animal theories. Uh, river otters have been offered up as the culprits, and otters certainly could have passed through some of the narrow openings that the perpetrator of the so-called devil's footprints allegedly traversed. That was one of the things that people found so odd that it would go through like a hole in a hedge. River otters would likely have been desperate for food in the icy winter, and these tracks were all close to rivers or smaller streams. But the sheer number of prints and the ones that are way up in high places make this a very unlikely solution. Uh, One thing we should point out is that, like, yes, many of these animals have feet that are not hooves. But there's always this this uh thing that comes up in these discussions of animals that are not hoofed of like, well, but if they put their feet together in a certain way and because there was a little bit of a rain thaw and then a refreeze, they may have frozen in a more uniform shape than they actually made. But really river otter's very unlikely.
0: That's, <laughs> like I, I I I live in a place where there's lots of snow. And it's definitely true that when an animal tracks through somewhere and then there's a a freeze and a thaw and a bunch of changes in the weather, like the the shape of those tracks does not hold up. Mm -hmm. But having a bunch of otters or even one very industrious otter Whose entire track all over everywhere uniformly suddenly became a horseshoe shape? Like that's right. a stretch, right? Well, my thing
1: too is like, how odd would it have been that like an army of any one of these animals just <laughs> ran through Devon one night and then never again?
0: <laughs> uh, another theory, naturalist Richard Owen, the one who never answered the Reverend in his inquiry, put forth an idea that the worthy work of Badgers. This theory wasn't developed so much with the prints themselves in mind. It was more of an Occam's razor situation. Badgers are the only animal that would have been near enough nocturnal and known to travel long distances in search of food in cold temperatures.
1: Of course, uh, leaving out the prince as part of the the set of requirements opened this theory up to naysayers, and rightly so. Badgers have a really wide, staggered tread that would have resulted in parallel tracks, uh, which most of these were not, and badgers are certainly not known for being able to hop onto roofs or over walls.
0: Also, in the same category, rodents... My, a lot of rice, mice and rats are known to hop with their feet together in a way that does kind of resemble the hoof marks, but the volume of prints and the idea that this huge number of rodents had all been hopping about lots of long distance makes that fall apart pretty quickly. If it had been rodent tracks, one would think that anyone ever nearby had seen something similar before.
1: Yeah, rodents are common. Uh, so we get back to my favorite. <laughs> Which is the kangaroo theory, which was one of the most popular at the time. So Reverend GM Musgrave, who we referenced earlier, actually wrote to the Illustrated London News to counter uh, the account of a person who had signed their letter as South Devon. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Uh, And asserted that the data that was supplied by South Devon's letter, who claimed to be a tracker and have some ideas about this, was inaccurate. Musgrave was the reverend referenced in the Spectator Letter who told his congregation that he believed an escaped kangaroo was to blame. Musgrave himself did not actually believe this theory, but he was really concerned that the idea of the devil loose in their area was far more damaging to his congregation than letting them believe that a kangaroo was on the loose.
0: (laughs) There were two kangaroos in a nearby private zoo, but neither of them is known to have escaped there were similar theories about an escaped monkey or a wolf. I'm missing monkey has never appeared in the records, and wolves have been extinct in England since the 14th century. I also sort of think, with this whole kangaroo situation, this isn't an acronym, but this is like a Bugs Bunny level of kangaroo behavior. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Uh, the prints certainly
1: looked like those of a donkey. Uh, which was another theory. And it turns out that donkeys do often plant their feet in a single line behind one another, so that gives that some credence. And for a moment, the idea that the prints were left by a donkey seems perfectly reasonable, except for those pesky roof tracks (laughs) and instances where the tracks stopped and started on either side of an obstacle. I am very on board with the idea that they were flying donkeys.
0: So uh, these are not the only absurd ideas, and we are going to talk about some more, including a lengthy discussion about birds after we first take a quick sponsor break.
1: So still unraveling this mystery of the Devon footprints or hoofprints, while agile cats certainly could have gotten up to roof level... The theory that it was cats has the obvious flaw of the hoof prints. And as you may recall, that writer of the first letter we mentioned suggested that if a cat's back paw landed in the same spot as the front paw, it could maybe make the right print. But this seems really far-fetched as all of the cats involved would have had to make that perfect print every single time all over the place.
0: Yeah, I have cats. It goes back to to all the other theories about non-hooved animals that may have done it. Like the idea that 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 many prints over miles and miles and miles of tracks would have uniformly made that shape is if it it's so far fetched. Yeah.
1: I mean we've both had cats. I still have a lot of cats. They they sometimes fall down just while they're walking. I can't imagine <laughs> they would they would get that level of precision every single time, especially on ice.
0: Yeah. Uh, birds have become one of the most popular explanations for the devil's footprints. And this theory was already popular back in 1855. Birds could alight at random intervals. They could easily leave prints on top of buildings or other high places. They could hop over fences easily. But, of course, they don't have hooves.
1: Although now I want to make a bird drawing that has a hoof, and it will be funny. To counter the bird flock idea... There are the writings in the illustrated London news by the signer that we referenced earlier named South Devon. And he starts, Birds could not have left these mark, as no bird's foot leaves the impression of a hoof, or even were there a bird capable of doing so, could it proceed in the direct manner above stated. Nor would birds, even if they had donkey's feet, confine themselves to one direct line, but hop here and there." but the nature of the mark at once sets aside its being the track of a bird. The effect of the atmosphere upon these marks is given by many as a solution, but how could it be possible for the atmosphere to affect one impression and not affect another? On the morning that the above was observed, the snow bore the fresh marks of cats, dogs, rabbits, birds, and men clearly defined. Why then should a continuous track, far more clearly defined, so clearly even, that the raising in the center of the frog of the foot could be plainly seen, why then should this particular mark be the only one which was affected by the atmosphere and all the others left as they were?' Besides, the most singular circumstance connected with it was that this particular mark removed the snow wherever it appeared clear as if cut with a diamond or branded with a hot iron. In one instance, this track entered a covered shed and passed through it out of a broken part of the wall at the other end where the atmosphere could not affect it.
0: The letter continues, The writer of the above has passed a five-months winter in the backwoods of Canada and has had much experience in tracking wild animals and birds upon the snow and can safely say he has never seen a more clearly defined track or one that appeared to be less altered by the atmosphere than the one in question. Marks left upon thin snow especially may, after a time, blur a little but never lose their distinctive character, as everyone will know who has been accustomed to follow the track of the American partridge.
1: And it was later discovered through the Reverend Ellicombe's records that the person that had signed the name South Devon was actually a young man named Durbin, who was 19 at the time that all this happened. So in a paper about the so-called devil's footprints, uh, Mike Dash asserts that it is certainly worth considering that Durbin's youth may have colored his dismissal of a relatively mundane source for the prints.
0: And now we get to the thing that I might have thought of first, the possibility of human hoaxers. And so naturally that has come up over time. It's entirely conceivable that somebody wanted to make a bunch of their fellow neighbors think the devil was larking about right outside their homes just for a laugh. We have, of course, seen this be the case in other hoaxes throughout history, not specifically with devils outside the door, but other weird unexplained stuff. Working against this theory is the sheer number of prints and the variation in the prints so the thaw and the refreeze could be, but likely isn't an explanation there.
1: Yeah, and it would have just had to have been a massive number of people involved. Uh, there is a secondary people theory that we'll talk about here in just a moment. Uh, there have been some modern theories about the tracks that were not part of the contemporary theory set. Like, at the time this was going on, pretty much all of the theories we've just talked about were all being discussed and and analyzed. Uh, But in the modern era, many new ideas have come up, including UFOs, which we aren't really going to (laughs) get into, but basically some people think UFOs. Uh, One less sensational theory suggests that a balloon with a dangling rope that was maybe kind of... uh, hopping along the ground, may have made the marks, but the consistent shape of the tracks kind of shoots that one down pretty quickly.
0: Another fairly recent theory is that a group of Romani tribes put on animal-like stilts to make the tracks and to try to scare away superstitious rivals. Uh, Sort of how I was imagining that these tracks might have been made in the first place, but backing up the series kind of a stretch. It seems kind of unlikely when you consider that hundreds of people would have needed to have been involved, and yet nobody was witnessed doing it. Like it it does it does seem like if there was a huge crowd of people on hoof stilts, someone probably would have noticed. But I love the idea
1: of a huge crowd of people tromping through the snow on hoof stilts. That's a beautiful image. There's also a whole thing that's been cooked up about why this wouldn't work involving how, like, they would have had to have used ladders to get on some of the the places that they were and whether or not they were doing that but still trying to get the same impression if they were using some sort of hand stamp versus their feet or if they were trying to get on ladders on these stilts. Basically, it's it's a popular theory in recent times, but it's also very tricky to sub- kind of back up. Uh, one of the more plausible, though still pretty weird, 20th century theories has to do with a weather event creating the tracks. Uh, according to a Scotland native named J. Alan Rennie, Warm air coming into contact with extremely cold temperatures could create condensation in such a way that it fell as large blobs rather than drops, the way that rain is normally seen. And Rennie claimed to have seen this phenomenon several times in his life, and this would certainly account for the vast assortment of odd places that the prints, or rain blob marks, were found.
0: So this explanation seems pretty sensible, but by Rennie's own account, the instances where he encountered it happening resulted in much larger marks that were spaced much farther apart. They tended to fall in a long line, not in the meandering patterns that were seen in Devon in 1855. Additionally, meteorologists have dismissed this phenomenon, which only Rennie claims that he has seen.
1: Yeah, no one else has ever claimed to see anything like it. Uh, In any case, part of what makes the Devon footprints so unusual, aside from their characteristics that we've already discussed, is the fact that this was a one-time event. At least it probably was. Allegedly, a woman in Devon had a similar phenomenon happen in her garden in 2009, but the primary source on that is the Daily Mail, which is a tabloid, so that is not really a serious claim.
0: I kind of, here's what I think happened. Yes. (laughs) I think we have a small number of people on hoof stilts also carrying hoof pokers. And so they are both walking and poking the ground. And then it's a giant main-main hoax combining... pokers and stilts.
1: But that's the that's one of the contradictions of the uh, the Romany theory is that they were making the exact same kind of imprint if they had hand stamps that they made with their foot and that's almost impossible to do. So that was the that was the why maybe not on that one. But then how did they pass through tiny holes?
0: That's a fine.
1: Oh, uh, what well, was the thing? That's the <laughs> wonderful sort of exhilarating and frustrating thing about this is that no one theory can really cover all the bases. But I like the hoax theory myself as well.
0: Regardless, for now and probably forever, we don't really know what caused this odd spate of footprints in one instance in Devon in 1855. It is pretty fun to speculate. Uh, Odds are, regardless of what the real answer is, probably pretty benign, really not the devil walking along the English coast the kangaroo sounds fun I really think though if a kangaroo jumped up on your roof you'd hear and, it and maybe see it when it came through your roof into your <laughs> kitchen
1: <laughs> and I would be like hi kangaroo please don't kick me to my death uh would you like a snack <laughs> I mean uh, you know kangaroos are good stuff